The following program is presented to you by the New York State School Boards Association. NISBA's President's Gavel Podcast is supported by the Harris Beach Educational Institution's team of attorneys. Harris Beach successfully represents more than 130 school districts and BOCES clients throughout New York State on matters involving school district operations, labor and employment matters, cybersecurity, and student issues. Learn more at www.harrisbeach.com. While many families have long awaited a return to full-time in-person instruction for their children, it does not necessarily come without anxiety. As we know, returning to school for many students will be anything but typical. Let's call this meeting to order. Today we are focusing on the mental health and wellness of our students to better understand these issues and help ease students, staff, and parents' anxiety about returning to the classroom for full-time in-person instruction, either in the coming weeks or hopefully in September when the new school year begins. We hope that every district will embrace a supportive narrative regarding the mental health of their students and build resiliency in our school communities. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I am pleased to have Amy Malloy as my guest today. Amy is the director of the School Mental Health Resource and Training Center for the Mental Health Association of New York. Amy also serves as a board member for the Queensbury Union Free School District. Amy, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Darcy. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. In many ways, a return to full-time in-person instruction will be like the start of a new school year, no matter when it happens. We should expect that many children will be experiencing increased anxiety going back into the classroom and that our students' mental health and wellness is not the same as it was 12 or 18 months ago. It will be important for our school districts to readdress their readiness as more students return to school or to full-time in-person instruction. So, Amy, do we know how the mental health and wellness of our students has been impacted and how we can better understand the issues in hopes of supporting a successful transition for our students when returning to in-person instruction? There's a few things we want to consider. One is we're just beginning to see some emerging data that's indicating that, in fact, yes, this has been really difficult time for students um, in terms of their mental health and wellness. We do have some students who are going to have been struggling um, and perhaps were in need of services, but we also have more and more students who are just dealing with that everyday kind of stress and anxiety that they experienced as part of, you know, this whole <laughs> new um, COVID environment, whether it was their remote learning or just the lack of um, social connections that they had because they were isolated and because we were all isolated. And then of course, you add on to that the experiences that many families had um, with relation to personal loss and financial challenges. So as you said, we really have to think of this um, in terms of every child is gonna have had a different experience. And every child has their own set 
of unique risk and protective factors that impact their ability to cope with these experiences. So whether it was that isolation and fear and uncertainty that many of us felt, or the personal losses. Um, I was reading that 50,000 New Yorkers died from COVID-19. If we were to assume that each one of those was personally connected to two students, and I think that's a conservative estimate, then 100,000 of our students lost someone, a loved one, to the coronavirus. Um, so that could have some pretty significant, um, devastating and, and traumatic effects for some students. For other students, you know, depending on what type of loss it was or what kind of supports and resources they had, um, it may have had less of an impact on their mental health. But again, we really aren't going to know. It's hard to make some generalizations. Um, and there's a lot that, you know, we still have to learn. And, and of course, there's those universal losses that kids experience, like social connections and activities and structure and routine. Everybody's different. Um, and that's something that it's going to make our job harder to think about. But everyone is different. And so we kind of want to um, really be open to taking some time to sit back to assess the needs of our students, um, to ask a lot of questions about what they need and what their experiences were. Um, what went well for them? What were their challenges? And then also, what did they learn from this? People, we know that we might have some personal resiliency and we also have some resiliency perhaps as a school community um, that we'd like to tap into. So can you talk a little bit more about building resiliency or resiliency in general and what does that really mean and how do we, how do we gain that? Sure, resiliency is our ability to bounce back from adversities and challenges. It's, it's how we've learned to manage those. And, you know, I'm a little biased because our, um, the Mental Health Association advocated for mental health instruction in schools. But I will say that my feeling is that because schools were talking about mental health prior to the pandemic, um, we were teaching students these coping strategies. We were talking about the importance of mental health um, as a part of our overall health and the relationship between mental health and physical health, we were having these conversations with our students prior to the pandemic. So I like to think that we were pretty well positioned um, to work on some of this. Even prior to the pandemic, we had no idea how important it would be a few years later. Um, but schools have been teaching students um, things like mindfulness practices and breathing strategies but many schools have built that into their daily strategies or daily structure um, that they are including opportunities for students to practice wellness. And I even know when the pandemic first hit and we first moved to remote learning, I know there was a lot of districts that prioritized that mental health. Um, and I think that was important. I think that was smart. I think that really gave us an opportunity to focus on the emotional aspect of um, learning because kids aren't going to you know be successful academically if they're not feeling safe and well and supported right absolutely and we also know as well that the racial divide and the inequities have really been highlighted in this pandemic and i think it's important that we also um speak about this and keep this really front and center as we try to move forward. And I'm, I know that from your perspective, you've also seen this as well. I think we should applaud New York State schools for doing a great job in problem solving around some of this. I think um, we've continued to provide food for families in need. We've worked collaboratively with telecommunication providers to try to expand Wi-Fi access. We certainly didn't solve every problem, 
but we got creative, we worked hard, and we worked together. And I think that we can't forget kind of what we've learned in this whole process and stay laser focused on meeting those basic needs. And with a better understanding of inequities, um, we can work toward policies and programs that support all students, but not all students in the same way. That's the difference between equal and equitable, right? So some students need different opportunities and supports to be successful, and we, do, we need to do the work to figure that out. And then finally, we're seeing a growing racial divide in our country. And this, I think, for me, feels um, just the most alarming and upsetting. Um, we need to talk about the impact that this has on our children. And, and I sit here as a white middle-class female, so I need to first acknowledge my white privilege and say that, you know, honestly, I'm not sure what discussions about race should look like in schools and in classrooms. But from a mental health perspective, I do know that when children of color see someone who looks like them be killed by someone who's supposed to protect them, that has an impact on their sense of safety, on their identity, on their mental health. And as educators, we have to hold space for them and allow them to have conversations in a way that makes them feel secure and supported and heard. And the reality is that children of color are going to schools in which most people in quote unquote power are white, the teachers, their administrators, their counselors. And there of course are some exceptions, but we have a diversity problem in our workforce and we can't just count on that to solve the problem. We need to engage with families and communities and students and have deep meaningful conversations about social justice and discrimination. And if that feels like too political or too comfortable, we just, we need to move past that because for many of our students, that's their reality. Right, absolutely, absolutely. So it's just another layer on top of everything else that we're talking about. It's going deeper rather than just just staying on the surface with this issue, because there are many dynamics here. How do we identify some of the strategies that can be helpful uh, to our students, to our staff, to parents, as our students return to full-time in-person instruction, either in the coming weeks, as some of them are, or hopefully in September when the new school year begins? Hmm. Well, I think we always talk about starting with our data, right? So um, schools know that, but I would encourage us to really go beyond sort of the data that we normally collect for SED and, and what is available to us, where are there gaps? So for the purpose of this conversation, if we're talking about mental health, what is our behavioral health data? What do you have? Do you know how many students self-referred to the school counselor? Was it for relationship problems or was it for anxiety? Or um, thinking about your, your health office even. You know, many times students will first present to the school nurse with headaches or, or stomach ache and there really isn't, doesn't appear to be a physical problem. If you see students who are consistently going to the nurse's office for things like that. Um, that's the kind of data you want to be collecting. We also might need to do a little bit of more specifically um, collecting some qualitative data targeted towards the events of last year. So asking families and students, what did you experience during the pandemic? What was most challenging for you? Um, and you know, if we can do this a little more regularly, then we can sort of build it into what we, always do as a school. And I think that's, that also speaks a lot to creating a culture and climate of wellness, um, that we're having conversations about mental health, that we're asking families about their experiences, and we're providing the opportunity for both family voice and student voice. I feel like we can never do enough 
of leveraging student voices. We also have an opportunity to really build a narrative and a conversation with our parents and our families at home. And uh, you mentioned to me something of a mental health toolkit that could possibly go home with our students and really begin to build this whole conversation with the whole community uh, from students to staff to families. And I, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more about you know, what might that look like? How can we build this narrative to really help build the resiliency of the whole community? Yeah, I, I think that's so important because again, it, it speaks to the culture and climate of a school. When you start to send those, whether it's in the form of a toolkit or just some social media posts or it's something on your website, when you're sending messages about mental health to your school community, you're saying that we value mental health. And that we recognize that this has been a difficult time, but there's resources and tools to help you and we're here to help you. And also because we're already teaching our students about mental health, it just makes sense that we would want to share those same ideas and strategies with the home so that those same tools could be practiced. And I think whatever communication method you're using uh, to really talk about ways in which we are supporting mental health and wellness for our students or families or staff, building sustainable support systems or structures for students in the long run is really where we need to have our vision. We really need to continue to think not only now in the immediate moment, but also about in the future what will our sustainable structures to support mental health and wellness really look like? And how can we really begin those building blocks now if we haven't done much with it already? So I think that um, one of the things you and I talked about was where can we provide resources? How can we really use our resources wisely so we can really spread the net wide and really look toward the long-term and we did talk a little bit previously about the difference between a one-to-one -one student support resource as opposed to a more structured, wide, system-wide, district-wide support for students. And can you talk a little bit more about that, Amy? How can we really consider um, the difference between those two types of structural supports for our kids? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think this is budget time, right? So these are the kinds of conversations that we've been having. And, and I first want to say that our student support staff are invaluable. I, I trained as a school counselor. I'm a social worker. I know the importance of that um, kind of the one-to-one the -one support. But if we're going to talk about sustainability, because we know that we might have funding this year for an extra school social worker, and because we know that mental health is, is going to be a challenge, we might want to go and hire a new social worker. But if that funding goes away in, in a year or two, as sometimes it does, um, then we're back to where we were. And the idea of, you know, considering something that's more sustainable, whether it's, and schools have done this in lots of different ways, but whether it's a social emotional learning coordinator, or a community liaison who can, you know, help develop some connections to the to the community to be able to provide some of these resources. There are other ways to um, build in a, a system of supports that will help provide the education and information that students need, families need, and staff need. Somebody who can help us kind of 
coordinate um, what would social emotional learning look like across the district from kindergarten to 12th grade? Um, how do we support um, an understanding of mental health for both our staff and for our families? So just thinking about bringing in if we have access to more resources right now, what is the way that we can do it that will impact everyone, um, not just the, you know, however many students a, a, another social worker would be able to see. And, and I say that too, because I think that there's a lot of work we can do with respect to collaborating with community partners um, to be able to meet some of those other needs. So within a school, what kinds of positions or supports would really help us um, build that social emotional learning and, and mental health awareness across the entire district. Yeah, that's great. That's a great thought, a great, the, another way to really look at strategies to really help our students and our staff as well. And so, Amy, I know you're a board member as well at Queensbury. So as a board member, when you look to the future, what questions do you have as you consider your students, uh, their future in your district, et cetera? And what would you say to your fellow board members as they look toward the future? Bring your experiences and your knowledge and your skills um, to the table. And I think now more than ever, we need you know a little bit of of that from everybody. Um, but I also think that it's important for us to both give ourselves permission and give our administrators position permission to think outside the box. I think that I've heard some things from so many school districts throughout the year, just innovative ways that they've addressed problems. And to me, that's really exciting and it's really wonderful. And I hope we don't lose that. I hope that we continue to take those kinds of risks. Um, and I think with that, we will build a better educational environment for our students uh, and we'll move forward with how, hope and optimism. I think that's where I wanna leave it, hope and optimism. Yeah, you're so right. Um, hope and optimism is how we need to take our next steps. And I do agree with you that sometimes we as board members also have to give permission to others in you know, our administrators, our teachers to be comfortable thinking outside of the box, get in that conversation a little bit. How can we create a better educational environment for our students? And how do we acknowledge that, yeah, we all have been challenged this past year, but out of that challenge also comes opportunities. I really wanna say, Amy, this has been a great conversation. I thank you for your time and your insight for helping us all understand these issues better and provide um, for our students mental health and wellness. So thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, Darcy, and thank you for giving it the attention that it needs. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So just one more thing I'd want to say is thank you again to our listeners. Um, I know everyone on the line cares deeply about the success of our children and public education. Um, we, we would like to take advantage of everything we have learned and all the opportunities that we have today to help make education uh, that is more equitable for all of our children.
And on that note, as always, I'd like to thank my NISBA colleagues working behind the scenes, making it possible to bring this podcast to you. Thank you to Megan DeGennaro, Al Marlin, and Alyssa Maiello. My name is Darcy Dercoli, Director of Leadership Development here at the New York State School Boards Association, and this has been a production of the President's Gavel. And this meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>